If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. We are in Romans 12. We're going to be expositing chapter 12, verse 2. The infallible, inerrant, authoritative word of God reads as follows. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, how are we to think your thoughts after you, Lord, if we know little to nothing about you, Lord? How can we have a transformed mind and heart if we feed our minds nothing but garbage from Instagram and Facebook and YouTube and movies that have nothing to do with you, but in fact are against you? Oh, Lord, convict our hearts. By the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, may we gain the understanding. Grant us repentance in these things that we may turn to your word, that we may be granted a transformed mind and heart so that we may be renewed in our thoughts about you, about ourselves this morning. We ask this very thing in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. I have titled today's sermon, God's Expectation for Body, Spirit, and Mind, Part 2. If you were here last week or if you got a chance to take a look online, we had Part 1, which focused on God's expectations for our body and our spirit. That was verse 1. Today, we're going to take a look at what God expects from us, from our mind. As a quick recap, up until now, the book of Romans has been very rich in teaching us theology. Today is the second sermon in which the Apostle Paul starts to explain and elaborate on what the teachings that he gave us imply in our everyday lives. Okay, so we've learned about God's righteousness, the sinfulness of men, God is impartial, all have sinned and fallen short, both Romans and the Greeks, that is, Gentiles and Jews alike, are all under the curse of sin. There's nothing that we can do to save ourselves, we must depend on the Savior. Now, all those doctrines are coming to bear fruit in our everyday lives. How is that going to work? This is where Paul begins the continuation of the section of Romans 12. We did verse 1, now we're doing verse 2, in which we will learn how the imperative what God is telling us to do through Paul being inspired by the Holy Spirit to give this instruction how those imperatives should affect our lives should transform our lives based on the indicative what God has done therefore we can now do this you cannot put this around or God forbid put only the imperative that is one of the distinctives of biblical Christianity that tells you is there an expectation for you? Absolutely. But only because God has done something. So, 
In verse 2, we will emphasize the role that the mind plays. The correct role of the mind should play something that is consistent with Scripture to present our bodies, our spirit, the living sacrifice. Well, the mind has a lot to do with that. It is all joined. So why is it important to understand that if we are to do what God says, in this case, to present ourselves as a living sacrifice to God in body, spirit, and mind, well, why is it that the mind is so involved? Let us take a quick look at Proverbs 23, verse 7a. If Brother Tony was here, he would appreciate that I'm quoting from the KJV. It says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Let me give you a quick illustration. Imagine that you are driving alone from picking up food, you're on the way home, and the beverage containers that they gave you don't have a lid for whatever reason. And your home is in a dirt road as you pull over to the road that's in your house, so it's going to be bumpy. As you encounter those bumps and you have to turn or swerve from one side to another, it is very likely that those cups are going to spill over. What spills from those cups is going to be what those cups have inside. Now you may ask, what does that have to do with anything? My friends, so it is with our minds and our hearts. When we hit the bumps of life, when we are shaken up in our everyday lives, whether trivial or major incidents in our life, what spills out of our mouth, our mind, our thoughts, our character, it is exactly what is in us. The way we react, the way we live, the way we make decisions is based upon what we actually believe, what is actually in our minds. This leads to the concept of worldview. All of you here sitting today have a worldview. The way that you view the world, the way you interpret ideas, the way you make judgments about what is true, about what is false, about what is good, about what is evil, about what you accept, about what you reject. You operate on those things according to your worldview. And this is why Proverbs 4.23 says the following. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Although the word here for heart is not the same as mind, nevertheless, it is closely related. In the sense that from our innermost center of activity of the human being necessarily involves the heart and the mind. So with that intro... Let us look at what we're going to extract as Paul's main point from this verse. It will be, given what God has done for you, He has been merciful to you. If you're a Christian, He has granted salvation. If you're not a Christian, He has granted you a lot of mercy for you to still be here. Then worship Him with your mind. Remember last time it was with spirit and body. This is now with your mind. Reminds us of the words of Jesus when he quoted from the Old Testament in Matthew 22, verses 37 and 38. And he said the following. And he said to him, this is Jesus talking. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first 
commandment. Okay? This is what God expects of us. So we're going to see what it means to worship God with our mind. We're going to see that in three points. The first one will be, our minds is not to be conformed to the world. Secondly, our mind is to be renewed so that we are transformed. And thirdly, our minds are to be used to test and to discern. In other words, to make judgments. All right, let us dig right in. First, the mind is not to be conformed to the world, just as the verse says in the first part. Do not be conformed to this world. The word that is here used for mind, it is the understanding of a complex mental state involving our beliefs, our feelings, our emotions, our values, our dispositions that make us act in a certain way. Right, that's the concept of mind, what the Bible means by mind. So you have a state of mind, you have certain beliefs, you have certain feelings, you have certain thoughts or ideas or opinions that will trigger your feelings. And you're going to act, you're going to say, you're going to do according to what your mind is telling you to do. Okay? And the scripture is telling us, do not conform that inner part of you to the world. The word conform in this verse means to become behaviorally or socially similar to. So, the way you act, the way you think, the way you behave, do not become similar to what this world does. That's a relatively straightforward concept, right? So, if you think like, if you act like, if you behave like, if you support the ideas, the politics, the moral values of the world, you are conformed to the ways of the world, period. Now, quickly, I start thinking, hmm, I know someone's, no, you don't know any, you may know someone who is conformed to the world, but what about you? How are you doing in the state of your mind, in the state of your home, in your marriage, with your kids? How are things looking? Are you conforming to the ways of the world, or are you following the word of God. And even if you may be trying to follow the word of God, you may be in an uphill battle. So the call here is for us to focus on self, not on my neighbor or, or a friend that I know that should listen to this. Now, conforming to the ways of the world ultimately in the most egregious way possible is when someone is unregenerate. That is, a non-Christian who is absolutely unaware that they are spiritually dead. Or in fact, they think that they're okay and think that Christianity is foolishness. That is the ultimate way in which someone will act out, think out what an unregenerate heart would do. Paul has actually described what that looks like in chapter 1. And I decided to quote that section because it's, it's imperative. It's extremely important to understand what will come in the sermon next. So let's go for it. Romans 1, verses 21 through 28. 
This is the description of an unregenerate person. It says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And then men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased or reprobate mind to do what ought not to be done. Okay, lengthy passage. My question here is, my friends, my brothers and sisters, does this not look like and sound like what has overtaken our country in the last few years? The minds of people denying God, denying the design of God for the family unit, the design for men to be men, the design for woman, for child, and there's a reason why our culture has reached a point of absurdity when it comes to these matters. And they, and they go to the ungodly and the ridiculous ideas that are being touted today. When there are ideas in the public square, in the universities, in politics, in the laws that are being put forth, in mandates, and bills that are being proposed, by and large, those folks have been given over to a reprobate mind. Make no mistake. They've rejected God's basic human design. And therefore, a lot of our leaders, I would say the majority of them, and those that support them also, believe that a man can become a woman, but yet they cannot define what a woman is. Isn't that a sign of a reprobate mind? They believe children, if not killed in the womb, they should be allowed to choose their sex. Not only that, but that they should get gender-affirming care. If there, was, if there ever was a more idiotic euphemism, I don't know what it would be. But what that means is that they champion the idea of stuffing kids with hormones and puberty blockers and as soon as they are able to mutilate their bodies in their private parts in order to affirm them. You see how evil the euphemism is? They call that healthcare. Well, they call abortion healthcare too, so that's another euphemism. But anyways, if you look at that and you don't realize that that is satanic, make no mistake, I'm telling you right now from the pulpit, those are satanic ideas. If you endorse, if you support 
any leader, any political leader, any teacher, any pastor that endorses these things, you are supporting Satan himself. This is the absolute rejection of God's design and decree. The very same lie that came to the Garden of Eden that said, did God really say that you can't do that? Is the exact same thing that we are letting into our families and our church and our minds when we say, hmm, okay, maybe God didn't say that, but I'm going to be okay with it. I'm going to support those who are championing this trash. Did God really say? Stephen Lawson put it this way. He said, the only explanation for the state of America is this. When people lose their minds, when people lose their morals, they lose their minds. Simply put, immorality produces insanity. Insanity. If there was a time to easily point out how to have a mind that is not only influenced but absorbed by the world, is to look at the ideas that are being touted today about sexuality. That would be your indication to say, okay, I see what a debased, what a reprobate mind looks like. How am I going to align? Because you cannot be neutral. You have a position on this. You are not neutral. Now, let's put a period there. There's other ways in which we can also be conformed to the ideas of the world that are not unique to sexual deviancy. Although that's a very, very strong one that we see in our culture today. Your mind, your attention, your priorities, whatever you're consumed by, your pursuits, if they have little to nothing to do with God, you have conformed to the ways of the world. If the mind that God gave you, the talents God gave you, the resources that God gave you, if all that is tied up following your own passions and interests and very little to do or nothing to do to pursue God, to pursue your personal growth in Christ, to pursue your involvement in serving the church, your efforts to witness to others, if that is not your focus, you are too conformed to the ways of the world, making no mistake. It doesn't matter if you come and warm up a bench here. It does not matter. If your pursuits are primarily pursuing the things of the world and not Christ, you are conformed to the world. There's no way around that. The world has no time or care for the things of God. So where do you fall in that scale? The great Charles Spurgeon put it as follows. Whatever a man depends on, whatever rules his mind, whatever governs his affections, whatever is the chief object of his delight, is his God. Now this is the key, my brothers and sisters, my friends here today. When our mind is conformed to the world, we are in idolatry. We have exchanged the creator for the created. John the Apostle, in the epistle of 1 John chapter 5, after admonishing his readers to be strong in their faith, after gently and firmly assuring them that they have salvation, that they should persevere, 
He exhorts them not to sin. And then he closes the chapter in that book for this matter with a verse that seems odd. Why would he say that? This is what he says, 1 John 5.21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Idols. When we conform to the world, we are putting an idea, a group, an entity, whatever it may be, above God. And you are in idolatry if you are conformed to the ways of the world. Paul says, don't do that. Do not let your mind be molded and conformed to the ungodly ideas of the world. So then, where should we go? That's header number two. The mind is to be renewed so that our personhood may be transformed. Romans 12, 2, the second portion of that verse reads as follows. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Transformed, the word there, metamorpho. This is the word where we get metamorphosis from. That is to become changed in outward appearance and expression as manifesting a change in nature or essence. That's the meaning of the word that Paul uses there. Incidentally, my kids often find little cocoons outside the house and around the, the garden that we have. Yeah. And my mom helps them to put them in a little ventilated container so that they can see and wait. And it's, it's, it's like a great expectation, right? And they're just waiting for that cocoon to convert. And all of a sudden, a beautiful butterfly comes out of there. I've been there when we've liberated those butterflies. And it's, it's truly astonishing. And this week, when they found one of those, I was just talking to my wife and my kids about it, and I say, do you think that the caterpillar, when it's crawling around, knows what he's going to become? And we really don't know, right? And I said, how is it that something that is creeping on the ground or around the flowers is able to fly? That, that's just incredible. And my daughter said, Daddy, it's a metamorphosis. I was like, oh, that's what it is. Yes, that's it. That's it. So then, with this change that the Bible talks about, that the Christian should have an outer appearance, an outer expression of our nature, in our essence, an outer appearance of something that has changed internally. Okay? This is what it means. We have been changed by God's grace through faith in Christ. And because of that, we reflect it inwardly. We reflect outwardly the change that has become inwardly. This is the renewal. To reestablish, to become like new. When it talks about becoming renewed. Now, how does one have a new regenerate mind, which in turn will manifest itself in tangible ways? Okay, we can see the unregenerate mind, we can see that that's not good. How do we have a regenerate mind then? The simple answer is, it is a gift of God. You cannot do it, I cannot do it. I cannot convince you into the kingdom. 
though I can persuade you, like Paul says, to believe and trust in Christ, I cannot do it. That is a gift of God. Ephesians 4, verses 22 to 24 says uh, this. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. This is a language that talks about the new birth. There was an old person, that person died. And a new person has been born. There was a old garment that is dirty and filthy. It will never be accepted in the eyes of the Lord. And we have put on a new robe. We have put on the perfection of Christ. Put away the old, put on the new. That old self, it says in this passage from Ephesians, that it was corrupt through deceitful desires. Remember how I told you that conforming to the world is chasing after and agreeing with and supporting all that is ungodly? All that is deceitful desires. Somehow we can become deceived in our minds to conform ourselves to that. And Ephesians here is telling us that's part of the old self. And we are to put that away. When we follow and conform to the ways of the world, we are chasing after deceitful desires. So then, a new mind that is going to renew our very essence is the gift of God. Now, how do we get that gift? Incidentally, it is by humbling ourselves. To realize that I'm off, I'm lost, I have nothing, I've offended God, I've agreed with the world. And then I need a savior. Because somebody could acknowledge that they're wrong and that the ways they've tried to live their life are wrong. But we should not remain there. If not the ways of the world, then what? It is to surrender to Christ, to trust in Jesus for your forgiveness of sins, so that the new self, that is those clean white robes, could be your vestment so that you can now come before the Lord. That symbolizes moral purity. This is the language, again, of the new birth. As Jesus told Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you cannot, you will not, you cannot even see nor enter the kingdom of God. So then, with a renewed self and mind, what are we to do? We are to test and to discern. That's the third header. Third part of the verse says, That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The renewed, the transformed mind then, is to test and to discern. The man of God is one who needs to think. This is something that is often misunderstood in the community of faith. We are not to just trust by blind faith. The Lord calls us to think and to think critically. Isaiah 118, the first portion of that verse says, Come now. 
let us reason together, says the Lord. God is not afraid of us thinking, asking, pursuing, checking to see if what his word says is true, because it is. This call then to think, to discern, to test, is what God expects of us. The language in verse 2 that we're seeing today is concerning and discerning, carefully examining what ideas to accept and which ideas to reject. So how do we do that? It says that we should discern the will of God. That's the first thing it tells us. The will of God can be understood in two main ways. First, the will of God is what actually happens in history. That's the decree of God. God is sovereign. He has ordained history to happen in a particular way. And God's decree, God's will, may include suffering for the Christian. As 1 Peter 3.17 puts it, it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. God has a sovereign control over all his creation. That is the first sense in which God has a will. Whatever God wills, that's what comes to pass. The second sense in which, in which we can think of the will of God is what we call God's will of command. What God commands us to do, that is, the imperative. What this is summed up is like this. God commands us to believe in Christ. This is his command. Believe in him whom God the Father has sent. As John 6, 29 states it. If this happens then, it follows that there will be obedience to God's commands. Doing the will of God means obeying him. Obeying his commandments. Matthew 7, 21, Jesus talking, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven. So then, the will of God is to trust in Christ. If we are trusting in Christ, it implies obedience of the disciple. So then, discerning the will of God. What is it? Well, knowing that God has decreased and that's going to come to pass, but also that God has revealed his commandments to us and that we should obey him. That is his will. Often we ask, well, what is the will of God for my life specifically? What should I do? Why is everything upside down and in chaos in my life? Why am I not satisfied? What should I do? Very often, if we are honest, what we don't want to hear is, well, drop what you're doing and trust in Christ. Drop your pursuits and get connected to the church. Leave behind what you think is going to satisfy you and put your whole life, surrender it to the Lord. And often, what is science? Oh, well, that's not really going to help me right now. What I need is, you know, and then fill in the blank. Why? Because we don't understand that doing the will of God would allow us to pursue God and his kingdom first and then everything else 
would follow. That, in essence, is the will of God, to obey. And by what standard, then, should the Christian do these things? By what standard should the Christian, with his mind, through thinking, reject, accept, rebuke, correct? By what standard? There's only one, by Scripture. Whatever Scripture condemns or approves, that's it. If you disagree, you are wrong. Argue with God. And if you are wrong and you're being corrected, accept correction. Psalm 119, verse 66 reads as follows. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. It's very clear here. The first half of this verse tells us, Lord, teach me. I want to have good judgment. I want to have knowledge. And then it says what the standard is, for I believe in your commandments. Discernment, then, is the ability to make correct, discriminating judgments, accepting what God accepts and rejecting what God rejects. Sinclair Ferguson has a great quote here, and it says the following. True discernment means not only distinguishing the right from the wrong, it means distinguishing the primary from the secondary, the essential from the indifferent, the permanent from the transient, the good and the better from the best. Now, how can we put this into practice in our chaotic culture? The ability to see and understand the times and realize the implications of the ideas of this world and how to respond to them. This is something that your children are not going to learn, uh, in, especially in public school. This is something that you have to teach your children how to think, how to look to God's word in order to reject or to accept what is being taught or what they see, because they are being bombarded. I have an example of this. In our, in our crazy world, recently there's two examples that someone pointed out and it caught my attention. First example, there's a satanic convention that recently took place in which the leader took to the stage and to the cheers of everyone, she tore the pages from the Bible, destroyed it, and threw it on the ground. Okay. Second example, a homeless man was charged for defecating on a so-called pride flag and wiping his behind with another one, another flag, at a Manhattan restaurant. He was charged with hate crimes for doing so. Okay, let's take a biblical look at these two incidents. Our discernment in our currently charged culture needs to be according to God's word, according to the times. In the first case, we have the illustration of someone who for sure has been given to a reprobate mind, openly claiming to be satanic. And by the way, to their credit, if you could say it that way, they say they actually don't believe in Satan, that they just want to be rebellious and contrary to the system or what have you. 
but they actually are doing the work of Satan, right? So without intending to, the title that they give themselves does fit. Okay, so reprobate mind, that's the example there. Second observation, note that although they are foolish, they're a little bit clever because they would not dare to do that with the Quran. Okay? They do this through the Bible. Nobody's going to go and bomb them up and kill them. But they would not be able to do that with the Quran. So then, observation number three, there is zero consequences for what that woman did. Zero, nothing happened. As a matter of fact, she's cheered. The mediums of uh, press that reported on this didn't see anything wrong with it. It was fine. Now let us take a quick observation to the other incident. What this man did is obviously wrong. Indecent, not civil, even by loose worldly standards, right? But nevertheless, there's no justification for, for what he did. What he did was wrong. He shouldn't be doing that. Now, observation number two, note that by and large, in the media that we have today, at least in, in the mainstream, this man got no credit for being a black homeless man. Because typically that is the way that the media would tell you, well, then he's obviously a victim. Here, his victimhood status went out the door because he offended a so-called victimhood group that is lower on the totem. See that? There's no sympathy for him. And note, he was charged with what? With a hate crime. The people that have worldviews out there in the world easily can see that. They say that was a hate crime. Remember some time ago recently where there was a shooting at a Christian school. The media cannot bring themselves to say that that was a hate crime. They cannot say, they will not say it, at least the mainstream. However, here, it's a hate crime. Had this man done what he did with the Bible, he would have had the same consequence as, his, as the other gal had, which is nothing. But because he offended what the reprobates of this world put on so high, he is charged with a hate crime. My brothers and sisters, the way we choose our leaders, the way we vote have consequences. Because those are the kinds of laws that are being established and followed. What is the conclusion here about discernment then? Both instances are depicting human depravity. Absolutely. In one of these, blasphemy was committed. I would say in one of these, blasphemy was committed. The world would agree, although they would disagree, on which one committed blasphemy. What is punishable in our culture then is the blasphemy, not that offends God, but that offends those who are given to a reprobate mind, those who offend God. Blasphemy in our culture, it is not enforced if you offend God, only if you offend those who are reprobate. 
it's just a case study. As we see what's going on in the world, we should able to discern, to judge, and to make conclusions. So then, what are some final thoughts that we've learned today about having our mind renewed so that we can discern God's will, so that we can discern the culture, so that we can discern a correct worldview? First, the question is, what is your mind conform to? In which ways do you align to the perverted ideas of the world? You have a worldview. What do you align it to? When we have a mind that aligns to the ways of the world, it leads to dishonoring Christ, dishonoring self, and the ultimate consequence is condemnation in hell. According to what we think, that's how we act. That's who we are. Remember, the cup that spills, it reveals what's inside. The way we act, behave, speak, our character, according to what we have in our minds. Secondly, to the Christian, become what you already are. This is a great encouragement. Paul is telling his audience that they are redeemed, that they have a new mind, that they have been purchased by the blood of Christ. Those are the implications to the believers. Now the punchline there is, now go and act on it. You have that ticket in your hand, go redeem it. Act like a Christian, live like a Christian, speak like a Christian. Stand against the culture like a Christian. Don't join them. Stand against them. Become what you already are. If you're not a Christian and you don't see yourself aligned with the ways of God and more in the ways of the world, then become a Christian. Repent of your ways. Trust in Christ. I would suppose that the most dangerous position to be in it's not that you're not a Christian and you don't know, or that you're a Christian and you know you're needing to pick up some slack, but the most dangerous one would be, I think I actually am, but you're not. Because your ways, your thinking, your priorities, your attitude, your deeds, tell otherwise. Christian, become what you are. And if there's no fruit of becoming what you are as a Christian, that means you're not a Christian. If the days, the months, the years go by, and your affections for the world grow, but your affections for Christ diminish. You are not a Christian, so repent. And thirdly, discern well. Discern what God's will is for your life, and that is primarily to obey Him. Remember the words of Jesus. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I command? That means He's not your Lord. How are you doing in godly discerning? Do you align with the world? Or do you align with God and with his people? Paul is telling the Christians here to exercise their mind in order to align with what God wants them to be, to do, to act, to behave. And we're going to see that in the rest of the chapter. 
So this is an exhortation for us to leave behind, to not be conformed, to reject the ways of this world, and to realize that our mind, if indeed we are Christians, has been renewed, and that because we have that renewed mind, we can discern the will of God, and we can discern everything around us, so that we honor Christ in everything we do. May that be our prayer today, and let's pray that very thing. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we take a snapshot evaluation of our lives, of our priorities, of our affections, that we should realize, not that our neighbor is falling short, but that we are falling short. Therefore, I pray, Lord, that you would give us repentance, that you would give us a changed mind and heart to follow after you, and indeed, that we could love you with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. We pray and we trust that you do that today. In Jesus' name, amen.